Morning, y'all. If you want to turn or scroll in a copy of God's Word to Psalm 96, that's where we will be this morning. And this psalm is a, a cherished psalm and um, one that I was actually doing my devotion in when I was asked if I would preach. And it was this or finish First Timothy chapter 6 on slaves. And um, it was this. Um, so... Paul will be back next week with that. And, um, but this, this is just a, a beloved psalm. This, this psalm, the context of the setting of just kind of to set our hearts in the right place is a joyful setting. It's a heart ravaged by the glory of God setting. So as, as we're moving in and out of the text, just be checking the... There's a tendency sometimes when you... When you hear preaching, and when you hear sometimes hard preaching, direct preaching, that you'll kind of shrink back and like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be feeling right now. Joy. Joy in the presence of the Lord is what you're supposed to be feeling, because that's exactly what David was feeling when he penned this, because the Ark of the Covenants was coming from Obed-Edom into the holy city. David tried before. It didn't go so well the first time. Some ox, carts, dead guy. Let's keep the ark away for a while. Now, the ark is coming in. And this is when David gets undignified. He derobes, not completely. He still had some, some clothing on. He just took off his royal robes, his proper clothing. And he danced, and he sang, and he rejoiced before the ark of the covenant as it was being brought into the city. And the ark of the covenant, of course, is the resting place, the presence of God here on earth at the time in a, a place of, of worship and of presence. And, and so this is where this comes from. That's where this psalm originated from. And if you would, stand for honor of reading of God's word. God's word in Psalm 96 states, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory, do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult in everything that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord comes. For he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. You may be seated. This is just, I mean, just reading it gets me pumped. I'm barely able to stand still and think. I, I want to dance and just make up words, to a new song to praise God for how awesome this is. And, but ho I want to bring you into that joy 
that I have after laboring in this text. And there's, there's six imperatives that, that are pretty easy to pick up. Sing, 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 ascribe, ascribe, ascribe. It's actions that we're being called into. There's, there's things we're being told to do, but it's, it's a, a friendly, joyful, compelling. It's not like a drudgery that we're like, okay, I have to do this. Like, no, join into this. Participate in this. Luther said of this psalm itself, this is a prophecy concerning the kingdom of Christ and the spreading of the gospel over the whole world and before every creature, which gospel will be a word of joy and thanksgiving, of peace, of rejoicing, and have continual sacrifices of praise unto Yahweh. So this first section, the, the, the first six verses, is Yahweh's song. And when you hear Yahweh, it, you read your Bible most likely, it's going to say the Lord, but it's Yahweh, or if you're in Latin, Jehovah. But this is the God who called everything that exists into existence. So when you hear Yahweh, there's power and might behind that. When you read in your English Bibles, the Lord, think of he who called everything that exists into existence. This is Yahweh. Oh, sing to Yahweh a new song. This is what David says. And so he's, he sees the ark coming in, and he's dancing, he's being undignified according to cultural standards, but he can't contain himself, for the joy of the Lord has overcome him. And then he pens this, and he calls Israel to sing this, to join in this song of praise to the Lord. For the Lord has done something new. The ark is coming in. But also, John tells us of a new song in Revelation 5, beginning in verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. David experiences this new song. John sees the ultimate consummation of the new song out of the work of Christ, the one who stepped down from heaven and took on flesh to ransom a rebel race and make a royal priesthood into a kingdom of worshipers of the one true God. And then all of creation in Revelation there is just worshiping and basking in he who is worthy to take the scroll. New songs amazingly come as the Lord does a work in the hearts of his people of revealing himself, of showing himself. 
So a new song was sung, and new songs have been sung over the ages. John wrote of that new song, and one day we will sing again a new song in the new heavens and the new earth through the work of Christ. Sing to Yahweh all the earth. As, as, the, as the Lord puts a song in our hearts, as, as the people of God behold him in his majesty, and these songs are put in our hearts, the, the courses begin to well up, and they overflow into our lips, and, and, and the church is gathered and built, and saints coordinate with one another to gather and to sing and to praise God, and a holy anthem rises to heaven from the people of God. We just participated that in a small fashion here this morning as we were singing this anthem. We, 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 hey, 10,000 reasons. There's way more than that to sing unto the Lord for the work that he has done. But it says to all the earth, in a quote that many of you are familiar with, and if you're not, it's a great one. Jot it down. Um, if you... If you're not taking notes, hit me up afterwards. I'll give it to you. But John Piper says, Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. I'd like to fuel a bit of our passion for missions, though, in the aspect of worship. So, to every tribe, our, our mission statement says that we exist to extend the worship of Christ among all peoples by mobilizing the church, training disciples, and sending missionary teams to plant churches among the unreached. Worship is the center and the thrust and the focal point of all we do, locking upon the one true God of the Bible, worshiping him, and out of that flows missions. So missions does exist because worship doesn't. But missions go forth because of the new song in our hearts. As we worship God, there is a missional thrust like a turbocharged engine with NOS or an astronaut strapped to a rocket ship, propelled into space, so is the Christian whose heart is set ablaze to the glory of God, who has a new song in their hearts. We must go forth heralding the good news of Christ, singing this song and proclaiming this song to all peoples everywhere at all times. It is uncontainable. If you have a new song, it cannot be bound up in a small piece of flesh. It cannot be set to our minds to think in the lofty ivory towers of theology. It must come bursting forth from our lips. It must move our feet forth into the world that God has placed us in, to the souls that are around us. We must share this new song that God has put in our hearts. This new song that is put in our hearts, it fills, it fills us. It consumes us. It takes us over. And it's one of those things that others are brought into. Our, our family has had a tradition for many years. Our family being Rebecca and I. I come from a pagan family. Um, we see God at work. Whether it's a saint being sanctified, a sinner being saved, or the glorious sunset, or, 
or the, or the moon shining brightly in the sky, what rolls off of our lips is, good job, God. Wow, God. Amazing are you, God. Great is Yahweh. And our kids now, when they see things like this, they just say, good job, God. Wow, God. Great is Yahweh. Why? Because they've heard us saying it over and over again. It's infected them, and it's become part of who they are now. And now, by the grace of God, two of our kids are saints, and they're heralding these new songs to their siblings and to those around them. This is what it's like when we see God at work. It stirs our hearts and it grips us and then it just flows from our lips. I didn't read a book or plan like I should just say good job, God, and hopefully my kids will say it and hopefully they'll share it with others. It just came out. And now it's, it's, it's starting to be a tenor of our home to say things like that. But these are things that happen to Christians. I'm sure many of you have stories like that of the way in which you have just been taken back by the glory of God and maybe you just started singing to him. Just making up songs along the way. Like, you're probably not going to get, you know, the top 20 or anything like that, but I'm sure God's pleased when you sing those songs and you make them up to him and your kids hear those, Dad, Mom, what are you singing? And then they want to join in with you. So it is the experience of those who are given a new song. But sing to Yah- verse 2 says, Sing to Yahweh and bless his name. Think about that. Bless the name of Yahweh. Moses, who are you? Who's sending me? I am. Okay, yeah, but who are you? I am. Thanks. So when we hear, bless the name of the Lord, the, the psalmist and the thrust here, he's getting at the totality of God's being. All of who God is, think about it, dwell on it, marvel in it, and bless all of it. Praise all of it. Try to find creative ways to praise the name of the Lord. This is the psalmist's directive here. One old saint says it like this, his fame, his character, his nature, everything that's revealed of him, is to be delighted in and remembered and with perpetual thanksgiving and bless him for all of his divine attributes. And as we do this, as we think about this God of the Bible and blessing his name, and this new song is welling up in our hearts, it says, tell of his salvation from day to day. Tell of Yahweh's salvation from day to day. Depending on what translation you have, it may say tell, it may say show forth, publish, bring good tidings, proclaim, preach, display the power of the message of Jesus in whatever ways you can. Bring the good news forth. And I just want to encourage you, especially you seasoned saints in the room, the reason you're here and not raptured immediately, this is for all of us Christians, but the reason that we're here right now and have breath in our lungs and have strength to move around, the reason that God doesn't rapture us and bring us up into glory right away after we're saved 
is to herald the good news, is to preach the good news, is to be making disciples as we go. The reason that God has graced you with so many years and the ability to have so many aches and pains, senior saints, is he's left you here to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. He's left you here to make disciples. That's why we're here. The reason you have a job, yeah, it's to provide for your family. It's to put food in your belly and a roof over your head and yada, yada. But it's to make disciples. The marketplace in which God has placed you is to be making disciples. It's to be telling of Yahweh's salvation from day to day. The neighbors you have are ordained by God to hear the good news through your lips. This is why we are here. But it's not just this this telling of, I think sometimes Christians get the idea where we, we get the gospel and then we move on to greater things, to deeper theology. No. Christians, we need the gospel. To, we need to tell of the salvation of Yahweh to our own souls day by day, preaching the gospel to ourselves. We need to share it with one another. We need to remind one another about the goodness of holy God reconciling sinners to himself. The fact that he has given us power to flee from sin and into the presence of God. The fact that he has given us hearts to bear with one another and to love one another and to forgive one another. To be freed from sinful patterns. Because if you're converted, you can't hear the gospel and then begin to preach the gospel to yourself and cherish the gospel and remain in sin in that moment. I'm not saying you become sinless. One day you will be. One day I will be too. It's going to be a glorious day. But as we're preaching the gospel more, sin is eradicated from our souls. As we're dwelling in the presence of the work of Jesus on the cross of Calvary, as we stare off in our mind's eye to the empty tomb, as we remember the, the marvelous moments in time when the apostles and the first disciples were staring off at the clouds as Jesus ascended into heaven, they had to get smacked around by the angel and say, get back to it, guys. We're like, wow, we will be freed from the sin that so easily entangles us. We need the gospel ourselves. We need to be preaching it to ourselves. We need to be reminding each other of it and not trying to move past it. We never move past the gospel. We must preach and tell of Yahweh's salvation from day to day. But also, he says in verse 3, declare Yahweh's glory among the nations. The emphasis here in, in the declare is by any means necessary. If, if, if you can preach it, preach it. If, you can, if it's broadcasting radio, broadcast radio. If it's writing it down, write it down and send books. But get the gospel out. Get the word out. Get the glorious salvation of Yahweh out. And as, as, the, as it's going out, he, he drives home further like a hammer hitting a nail. More motivation to tell and to declare of Yahweh's glory among the nations. He says, His marvelous works among all the peoples. And God's works are all marvelous. I mean, speaking to nothing and then comes everything? That's pretty awesome. 
But taking a dead sinner, stained and marred with evil flesh and corruption of sin, and reconciling them to himself and making them holy, making them saints, making them heirs to the kingdom, sons and daughters of God Almighty, there is no greater and marvelous work than that. So tell of all of his wonderful works. Tell of all the ways in which he is growing and making a people for his own possession. And the more we do this, again, this, this melody, just this new song stirs in our hearts and it's uncontainable. We must be singing it and proclaiming it to all peoples everywhere. Verse 4 says, For great is Yahweh and greatly to be praised. There is not one thing known of God throughout all of Scripture that we should look at and say, I would do it another way. I wish God wasn't like that. The God of the Bible, in all of his ways, every single action he has ever done is perfect and wonderful and lovely. And he is great, and he is greatly to be praised. This isn't a little bit, and we don't get to be selective in what we praise God for. All of God, for all of his ways, he is wonderful and marvelous and should be praised. Every time we look through the pages of Scripture and we see God, and we learn of God, and we commune with God, there should be an applause. There should be a praise. There should be a marveling. There's not one thing to turn away from in the Scriptures where we see God and That's our lacking, not his lacking. It's the fact that we don't understand things, not the fact that he did something wrong. Because everything that God does and all of who God is is great and greatly to be praised. Like super abundantly. Like as much as we can just well things up, speak things, feel things, think things, marvel things, dance things, like give it to God for who God is and what he has done. And I love as he starts driving home further, he says, gives us some rationale of, of more praise for God and also some, some motivation as we're getting close to turning to the next section of ascribing to the Lord where it says, for all the gods of the people are worthless idols. It just means no thing. Like, the idols, no thing. It's nothing. It's worthless. It's a little carved image made by the hands of man. And we are made by the hands of God. And no hands have made God because God has always existed. But these little idols of the peoples, of the nations, are nothing. There's no fear in them. All opposition that could come from these little trinkets and idols is futile. There's not an opposition that can come from an idol that can thwart the message of God. I remember one time being in a, in a far-off place in a, in, a, in a jungle, and there was heavy, heavy spiritual oppression and attacks, and there was an attempted assassination upon me and my other coworkers. There was poisoning, and 
Not one of us got sick. Only the unbelievers who tried to participate in the poisoning were killed. God protects his people. Now, there are martyrs, and that's real and everything like that. But I'm just saying, like, every attack that is put upon God's people and God's message and God's name is a futile attack. We serve Yahweh who made the heavens. The idols made nothing. They never have. They never will. They are worthless. But Yahweh spoke creation into existence. It's amazing. And not only did he speak the heavens into existence and creation and all that is, but splendor and majesty go before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Everything that is lovely and right, all that is pure and breathtaking, is found in God. All happiness and satisfaction, all that would cause one to marvel and wonder and awe, is found in the presence of Yahweh himself. There is nothing in creation that is to be marveled at and wondered in, even close to Yahweh. Beauty, muscles, pearls will all fade away. But the glory of God for the believer is an eternal, ever-increasing wonder of awesomeness. The things we hold to here, the things we cherish here often, they'll be gone tomorrow. Remember 2008? That was a bad year for a lot of housing people. 2020? I don't know we're trying to forget, but it's gone now. But I mean, oh man, the sky is falling for a minute. That's how many people felt. And now we're getting back to just living life again. There's ebbs and flows that happen. Sometimes... Things are good and easy, and sometimes they're not. But God, his glory, his majesty, his strength for us will be ever-increasing. We'll always be marveling at it and finding more glory in it for all of eternity. We will never exhaust, get bored, or grow weary of knowing God. We'll be like, wow, it's awesome. You are great, God. The next section here in this, this text, Yahweh's invitation to the nations really drives home a great point. Um, it says, Ascribe to Yahweh, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. This is not one people for one time, but this is all people of all time are to pay homage, to give honor and glory to Yahweh for who he is and what he has done. It's a calling into. Every tribe, tongue, and nation are called to look upon and appreciate the power of Yahweh and lay aside all idols and trinkets and stumbling blocks of pride and self-will and say, we are and have nothing, but Yahweh in and of himself is great and mighty and beyond all words. But we try and we strive to proclaim the great and mighty awesomeness of Yahweh. 
They're being called into this. The nations are being called into this. We're part of the nations, by the way, since we're not ethnic Israel for most people in here. And it's happening day to day. Nations are, are being called in. We work in a, in a place in, in Southeast Asia right now that we have just been given the rites of passage to come live among a tribe because for the last six years, been laboring in and laboring out, in and out, buses, trains, mountain climbing, going through rivers, going through swamps, going back up mountains, down mountains, into this far-off tribe. And they've now said, you guys can come live here. So right now, they're loading up a truck that's going to get to the, the end of the road, basically, with stuff for our missionaries to go live with this people. Because this people, for years, has been hearing the word of God. They've been hearing about the, the, the song of the Lord. And they've been being told to ascribe to the Lord, give glory and honor to his great name. And they're being saying, yeah, I think, I think we want that. Would you come and stay with us and tell us more about that? And I'm sure on the 16th, you're going to hear even more about how the nations are ascribing to the glory of the name of Yahweh. But it's happening because God puts this song in our hearts and it wells up so much that it must go forth to the ends of the earth. There's a reason we have friends home on furlough right now. Not, well, maybe not home. They're visiting. They're going to go back home because God put a song in their hearts. There's a reason that the Watsons are leaving and going to the other side of the world to call the nations to ascribe to Yahweh his glory and strength to give glory due to his name. Because this place is too small. There's many people who haven't heard. And the song is so great. The melody is so sweet and marvelous. And God is so wonderful that people are leaving all of the blessings, and there are many blessings, to stay in the United States to go find more blessings among the nations and to see the nations proclaiming the great name of Yahweh, honoring glory and strength and proclaiming. And they are getting a new song in their hearts. And they're receiving this new song. And they're telling their people of this new song. And many nations can't even stay there. They've got to go to the nations because a song is so wonderful. And they're calling the world, the peoples of the earth to proclaim and to understand and ascribe and give glory due to his great name. We must, must be doing this. And I say we must be doing this. What I mean by that is we must be pausing to set our gaze upon Yahweh, to see him, to savor him, to delight in him. We, I, will wait for you. I will wait for you. I will wait for you. We sang it over and over and over again. 
I call upon you, Four Oaks, until the new song is birthed in your heart, wait on the Lord, and he will stir it up in you so much that you might not even be able to get shoes on. You'll be running out the door and be proclaiming. You just get out to the porch and start singing. That's okay. Or you stay in, you know, maybe you're a little bit more introverted and you stay inside and sing in the shower first. But the Lord will give you a new song. He delights in it from day to day, moment by moment. Because the Lion of Judah has conquered the grave, through his great atonement and the glorious gospel, all people of faith can bring an offering of praise and thanksgiving, a sacrifice of time, talents, money, whole lives as an offering to the Lord. Galatians 2.20, we know this verse, but I don't think we apply it very well past our scripture memory is. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live now, I live in the... I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Or Hebrews 13, 15, and 16. Through him then, let us continually offer up sacrifices of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So this is ascribing to Yahweh, O families of the earth. Ascribe to Yahweh glory and strength. Ascribe to Yahweh the glory that is due to his name to bring an offering to his courts. It's not that God is needy of us to do this. We are needy of God. We are needy of God to do a work in us that we could offer this to him. And he loves to do it. He loves to put these songs in our hearts, to put these motives in us, and then he loves to receive the worship that we give him. The psalm, and the psalmist even tells us how to worship. It says, Worship Yahweh in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. As one old faithful dead saint put it, he said, This is the only beauty which Yahweh cares for in public services. And it is one for which no other can compensate. Beauty of architect and apparel he does not regard. Moral and spiritual beauty is that in which his soul delighteth. Worship must not be rendered to God in a slothful, sinful, superficial, unthought fashion. We must be reverent, sincere, earnest, and pure in heart, both in our prayers and our praise. Our worship to God must be done in holiness. It must be thought about. It must be pondered. There's nothing casual about it. And it's not just here and now. Whether we eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Our whole lives are to be lives of worship. So our whole lives are to be holy. Offered unto the Lord. We are to be a holy people as God is holy. And just, just for the sake of time, I, I want to focus on, on just the, the last section. 
and talk about the, the rule of Yahweh. Yahweh has a perfect rule. I'm going to bring verse 10 down in that section just to cover that. Um, verse 10. Say among the nation, Yahweh reigns. He reigns. He rules supremely. And think about all, all of the nations that are out there. One day it's called this, the next day it's called that. One day this person's ruling, the next day that person's ruling. One day the borders are here, the next day the borders are over there. One day this God's in control, the next day this God's in control. Back and forth, turbulent, evil rulers, evil spirits at work. Just unrest around the world. And we come to this people and we say, Yahweh reigns. The God of the universe sits supreme on the throne. He is in control. And he calls you into his rest. He calls you to behold him in his majesty, to marvel in him, to understand who he is, and the fact that he receives you in solely on the merit of King Jesus. No works of your own are needed. No more sacrifices. No more bribes. Just give up and surrender to Christ. Trust him in his perfect work. And you will be protected and cared for. I think about the, the, the feeling of this. And I think about one time that um, I was at Walmart. And I was from here to the sanctuary way. Nathan was standing in line because... I forgot something, had to go get it. So stay in line, don't lose your spot. There's only two people in checkouts. Um, so I go and I see, there's this guy, kind of, it looks like he hit him, but I couldn't tell. And Nathan just does one of these. And so I get up, hey, what happened? This guy ran into me. I said, what did he say, excuse me, or I'm sorry, or anything like that? He said, no, he laughed at me and looked at me really meanly. All right. So I do what any good father would do. I go and I confront this man. First, I checked to make sure he was mentally stable and, you know, wasn't special or anything like that with, a, you know, needing some Xanax or something. And I began to ask him what happened. And he started puffing up, getting a little agitated at me. And I very kindly put him in his place and let him know that that is my son and you shall not do that again and you need to apologize. Sorry. And he did. I walk back up to Nathan. Nathan jumps in my arms. He latches onto me, and I'm holding him. And as I'm holding him, he eventually kind of relaxes, but still hugs. I think this is the posture of those who hear. The Lord reigns. They're, they're, they're fearful. They're unprotected. They're vulnerable. And then they see the great defense of Christ. They see the God of refuge, the rock of salvation. And they come in and they latch on and they hold on tight and then they relax into the embrace of the Savior. This is one of the most beautiful things. This is, this is why our family wants to go to the ends of the earth. 
it'd be easy to stay here in Tallahassee. Y'all are great. This church, this city, I mean, easy living. Very comfortable. But we must go and proclaim the Lord reigns to the ends of the earth. We have to leave it behind. There is a holy discontentment with being here. Because the song in our hearts, and we've seen time and time again, those who have heard the message, those who begin to ascribe to the Lord glory and strength and honor and glory to his name, we have to go. We can't keep Christ to ourselves. We must go. But Yahweh's rule, it says that, verse 13 says, before Yahweh, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth, he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with faithfulness. He's coming back. He's coming back, and we don't know when. You read Matthew 24, you're like, man, all the signs are there. Anytime now. Every, people have been thinking that for 2,000 years, okay? So I'm not saying he's coming back tomorrow. There's no time I'm putting on that. But he's coming back, and we don't know when. But the posture here of the psalmist, it's not this, there's, I think there's two responses, like, oh, man, I hope God waits a little bit more. Hope more people can get saved and everything like that. Or, yeah, go get those reprobates, all those who reject you. Get them, God. That's, that's a really bad response, by the way. Um, but the, the, the response of the psalmist here is this joyful response. It's, we need to call the nations to ascribe to the Lord and tell them that he reigns because God's coming back. He's coming back for his people. He's coming back, and it's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. The, the psalmist's heart here is, come, Lord, quickly. Come. Come back, Lord. We want to see you again. This is the response. It's a joyful response at the return of God. And this is, this is going to be a glorious day when he will come and he will judge. But think about that. Of all of the nations and all of the people who have corrupt rulers, who have evil judges and magistrates, who oppress them, who steal from them, who beat them, who murder their family members, to come in and say, the Lord reigns. And you know what? He's coming back. And he's coming back as the judge. And he will judge with perfect equity, righteousness and faithfulness. And not the standard of righteousness and faithfulness that is found in man but righteousness and faithfulness that's found in God who is perfect. He will judge all things perfectly. Come into his rest. Come into his protection. And long for that day when the Lord comes back. Oh, that glorious day when the trumpet is blasts. The clouds are rolled back. And the Son of God descends. And he sets all things right. There's an urgency here. But it's a joyful urgency and it's, 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 it's an anticipatory urgency. Like, as many as possible. Come on, guys. Like, God's so great. We come in quickly. It's great. He's coming. But he's coming, guys. Do you know that? He's coming. The, I have two ways in which I've experienced this overwhelming joy of hurry up and get here. Actually, five. Um, the four are with the kids coming. 
but the greatest way I've ever experienced this, hurry up and get here, is staring down the aisle. Come on, Rebecca. Lyle, hurry up. Here, Rebecca's dad. Man, you better get down here. I'm going to get you a wheelchair. I wanted Rebecca to get there quickly. I didn't want to wait any longer. I could barely contain myself. My face was peeled back like this. It hurt so much because I was smiling so bad. Like this, this is what it's like to long for the return of the Lord. This is how we should look at as Christians. Come, Lord, quickly. Come. So in closing, and not a long preacher closing, I want to ask you today, has the Lord put a new song in your heart? When's the last time the Lord put a new song in your heart? How are you telling of his salvation from day to day? Who and how are you calling the nations to ascribe to the majesty and glory and the great name of Yahweh? How are you doing that? And are you just eagerly awaiting the return of Christ? All all of these, if you want fuel for the fire for all of these, Spend time in the scriptures understanding who God is. The God of holiness. Holiness beyond all definitions of every vernacular, of every language, of all time. We don't even scratch the surface of describing how holy and pure and right God is. The God who is almighty and never grows weary, who doesn't sleep or slumber. The God who is all-powerful, who none could throw his hand. The God of love, so much love that he was willing to send his son to be pressed down by the wrath of God that we could be loved in the presence of God forever. And on and on, and you just go through and you're like, man, God is great. And these songs, man, they're going to be popping off. Like there wouldn't be enough radio stations to contain the Christians for all the new songs that would come out if we would commune with God like this. And there wouldn't be a nation in our lifetime who didn't hear the name of Jesus if we spent time with God marveling him. We'd be calling for all to ascribe to the Lord. And there would be such readiness for the Lord's return We'd be like on a lookout tower with binoculars, looking, waiting, all giddy, like, come on now, Lord, let's go. Where are you at, church? Marvel in the Lord. It will fan the flame to sing Yahweh's song, to have motivation to call people to Yahweh's invitation, and also to rest in the great ruling of Yahweh. Let's pray.